Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Awesome. Well, good evening, Brimbrook. It's good to see you guys again. Uh, I'm back for my third and last message with you guys tonight, so it's been a pleasure. Um, Kevin, thank you for those kind words. It's meant a lot. Thank you for the blessing you gave uh, Beth and I there. That was awesome. Um, so we're back into our series, the last one uh, in our series called One Page Wonders. Um, so we've been going over the one-page books of the Bible like I've been talking to you guys about. The reason we're doing uh, this is, again, because these books are often overlooked. They're skipped over for their larger counterparts in the scriptures. But sometimes, like we've said, shorter is better and less is very much more. Every once in a while, messages are just so important that the flowery language uh, isn't going to do it. The long debates don't cut it. We just need to get right to the point and say what we need to say, right? Again, sometimes Sometimes we don't want to call, we just want to text. Sometimes, for the love of all things good, we don't want a meeting, we just want a stupid email. Sometimes we don't want a documentary, we just want a five-minute YouTube video, that's it. Chris, are you testifying there when I said that? (laughs) Some messages are just meant to be shorter, um, and sometimes they just need to be. Um, Now, as we start today, guys, as we start today, I want to begin today by starting about stereotypes. I want to talk about that. Now, stereotypes are something in our day and age that are kind of largely considered to be negative things. They have negative connotations. Um, Racial stereotypes, that's probably what comes to a lot of people's minds. Um, That's fair. That's not a good thing. Assuming qualities of a person based on the color of their skin, that's a no-go. But there are certain topics where stereotypes can be kind of harmless and funny. Um, I'll show you what I mean. There used to be an old meme called the starter pack meme, and the idea behind this meme is that you could create a starter pack for certain things in the world. It's going to come up in a second. And the starter pack would include certain key things about a person. Let me show what I mean. The first one coming up, this is the can I speak to your manager starter pack. So it's got a specific kind of haircut, the Dodge Grand Caravan, kind of a look, yelling kids, um, kind of funny. Um, Is it true? No, not necessarily. It's a joke. But there's a hint of truth to it, just a little tiny bit, and that's what makes it funny. Um, This coming up here is the worship leader starter pack. (laughs) Haha, <laughs> very good. I don't, I kind of wore, wore baggy jeans almost purposely, just so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be part of that this time. I didn't want to look too much like that. Um, but yeah, it's very funny. It's, it's poking at like kind of worship leaders from like Bethel and Elevation and stuff like that. Very funny, haha. Um, I bring this up today because there are a lot of funny stereotypes in the church, I find. Um, one of my favorites are um, coming up here, yeah, Trinitarian egg salad sandwiches that always happen at church potlucks. I love those. I love those. They're very tasty. I always get one. Um, I think to go along with these stereotypes, though, and in the church and in all cultures, there are things that we have called buzzwords. Buzzwords. They're um, linguistic stereotypes. That is to say, they're words that we say all the time. And the church, we're notorious for this. Here are a few of my favorite. Um, Do life together. Um, This is more of a buzz phrase, but I mean, this is a broad statement that people all the time, yeah, me and my small group, we're just... We're just doing life together, you know? Life, like all aspects, certain aspects. What do you mean by that? Um, How about uh, a hedge of protection? Oh, Lord, we pray for a hedge of protection around our family. It's a shrubbery. What does that mean? I don't understand. My mom used to pray that over my sister and I every morning, and I used to just get pictures of grass, and I was like, how does this save anybody? Um, There's a biblical context to that, and you can discover that, but it's kind of funny anyways that we use that. Um, Maybe the number one buzzword, though, that I hear in the church all the time, and the topic that we're we're actually going to talk about today is fellowship fellowship. It's used all over the church and in many different contexts, many different meanings to it. Oh, it was great yesterday. Me and my small group just had a time of fellowship, meaning we read the Bible and watched the Francis Chan video. Oh, our men's group loves fellowship, and by fellowship they mean fishing and watching the football game or following the service. We're going to have a time of fellowship, meaning, um, as mentioned before, the Trinitarian egg salad sandwiches. Uh, Or in the Bible college context, we used to jokingly say, man, I'd love a time of fellowship with 
her, meaning, well, you know what I mean. Um, anyways, anyways, again, um, the word fellowship is a buzzword um, because it's so often used in the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, which I think many of you in here are, um, you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. And if you're not a follower, maybe you're listening online or something like that, you don't know what I mean, just get used to it because it's, it's coming your way whether or not you like it or not. You will say fellowship at one time. I bring up buzzwords, though, specifically fellowship, because again, we're going we're to talk about this, but I think it's important um, to understand where these words come from. When we say them all the time, sometimes we grow numb to them, and I think sometimes we just need to pause and ask, what do these words mean? Because um, it's good to define the language that we use. It helps clarify what we're saying or maybe what we're doing. And actually, fellowship, though, overly, uh, though wildly overused in church culture, has a basis for it in the scriptures. There is a biblical foundation and context to what fellowship is. And it's important, I think, that we kind of reclaim and understand again what that context is. And so we're going to ask very simply today this question. What is Christian fellowship? What is Christian fellowship? Because if we can understand what fellowship actually is, it will have an effect on the way uh, that we use that word and how we all live together as a church. And to do this today, we're going to begin by looking at the short book of Philemon. Philemon. It's just kind of tucked away at the back of your Bibles. You can bring out your Bibles now if you want. Um, if you're like, Wes, I can't find that. It's by Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It's after all the other letters by Paul. Um, it's just a tiny page in the back. But let me read it for you out loud so it's okay if you don't have it. I'm just going to read it here. But it's so short, we're going to do it one, uh, once through. So here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our friends, and our fellow worker, also to Apphia and her sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, uh, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both me and you. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that uh, any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while, uh, for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, would you welcome him back as you would welcome me? If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you. And, uh, sorry, because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Ast uh, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers in Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That is the full book of Philemon all in one go. So um, this is the shortest letter uh, in the scriptures. 
Um, not the shortest book, that's Third John, but the shortest letter, sorry, of Paul's in the scriptures. Um, it's written by, again, the greatest writer and thinker outside of Christian history, outside of Jesus, um, and that's Paul. Uh, Paul is best known for the book of Romans. It's the first letter that you encounter in your Bible kind of after the gospels. You have the gospels, then Acts, and then Romans, okay? Romans is that, this magnificent treatise on humanity's sin and God's response to it in Christ, and it's detailed, and it threads these multiple themes together, building up this enormous argument. It's described as maybe the Himalayas of the scriptures because of the heights and the depths that it reaches. And after Romans, you have these several different letters written by Paul, and uh, they're all written to churches of different size, and they're all hugely influential. And finally, tucked at the back of all these massive influential books and famous verses is this tiny little book called Philemon. And like we talked about at the very beginning today, this book, though small, I promise you, it packs a punch. It has a lot to say for us. And very specifically, this letter has a lot to say about fellowship specifically, what it means, how we do it, and why we do it. And from this letter and the story in it, we're going to pull out a definition for ourselves about what Christian fellowship is. And to begin, as I've given you context to where the book sits in the scriptures, I want to give you a little context as to what's going on in the letter. Paul at this time, he, when he's writing this letter, he's in prison, okay? It starts in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, meaning he's actually in prison because and for of, uh, Jesus. Um, but he's literally in prison. Like, this isn't a metaphorical thing. And in prison, he's written this letter entitled to this person named Philemon. And Philemon, we know, is actually a member of the church in Colossae because he comes up in the book of Colossians. And the content of this letter is again very short and sweet. What's happened is that Philemon used to own a slave named Onesimus. And this slave named Onesimus has run away and actually connected with Paul. And Paul, in writing this letter, is petitioning that this person named Philemon receive his runaway slave back. But not as a slave, rather as a brother in Christ. It's a powerful, powerful moment of reconciliation and restoration. But the dominating theme, as we're going to discover here, is fellowship. And we're going to pull a definition again. So let's start here. It begins with his greetings in the first two verses, but he continues on as we kind of touched on. He says this in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very standard Pauline greeting, okay? Right, so, so so far we have, hello, my name is Paul, I'm in prison, this is for Philemon, grace and peace to you. It's just greeting so far, okay? But Paul continues on in these next few verses. He says this in verse four. I always thank God, uh, sorry, thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So he begins this in a very, very personal way. You see, this letter is different than most of Paul's letters um, because most of Paul's letters were sent to churches. This letter is primarily just sent to a friend. So you're getting this kind of intimate letter between Paul and a friend. Paul prays for this guy daily. He's proud of the work that he's doing. And it's probably not a mistake that Paul actually starts by, by bringing up this personal connection because he's about to ask something very big of Philemon. But before he makes the ask, he has this really unique verse in verse 6. And I'll be honest, this verse coming up is key to understanding the whole letter. If we miss this, we will not understand what's going on. So let's look at it. Paul says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, you're probably like me. And when you first read this verse, you were like, what does that mean? Because that was me. I was like, I, what, do I, what do I do with this? Sentence doesn't seem to make much sense, but um, let me break it down as best I can for you. Paul here is praying something for Philemon. And this prayer he's going to make is going to bear directly on what Paul is about to ask for in this letter. It's kind of one of those like forward, kind of maybe passive-aggressive prayers. Um, 
if you've ever experienced it. You know when you're in a group and somebody's praying for something vaguely, but um, it's pretty specific as to what they're praying for. For you, you can kind of tell, right? Oh, I just pray that, Lord Jesus, you would just help us watch our tongues and protect us from gossip, right? Kind of seems odd, but like context is like Jeremy in the prayer circle over there has been gossiping about the guy who's praying. So it's just a way of kind of like letting them know to like, hey, cut it out. It's a very direct way. Paul here is kind of doing this with Philemon. It's kind of funny. Um, he's gonna be, it's gonna be referencing this verse here because it, it has meaning on what he wants later. It's very specific to what Paul is trying to do. He starts by praying in Paul's words about Philemon's partnership with Paul and his group in the faith. Now, this is important. Now, we have to take a look at what this word means because although it's translated as partnership, that word right there, partnership, is often translated in your, uh, your Bibles as fellowship. Um, some translations might even have fellowship for this uh, Philemon verse, um, but oftentimes when they use this in the Pauline letters, it's fellowship. The word in the Greek is koinonia. It's used primarily by Paul in his letters, again, but uh, most of the time you see it, 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 one more time, it's translated as fellowship, but, but here's the thing, and the reason I bring this all up. Um, fellowship, as I've referenced earlier, is, is kind of meant to mean some kind of time spent with other people, right? That's how we use it. It's very kind of loose. That's the usual understanding. It's a vague term, but Paul is not using it in a vague way here. This is a very intentional word. The word koinonia actually has a sense of exchange to it. That's the, there's a more fundamental sense um, that's linked to more of like a generosity, to sharing, to giving and receiving. A more rigid translation that you could actually um, rightly use to translate koinonia is interchange. And that kind of makes sense when we think of fellowship in our culture. We usually think of maybe like a dinner we share, right? We sit down and we have something together. And this is why the NIV has chosen to translate it as uh, a partnership. There's something that two groups are coming together over. There's action to be taken here. I love N.T. Wright's translation when he says the general sense of koinonia here is more mutual participation. It's two parties stepping into something together. And we see what this partnership or participation is about, as Paul says, it's in the faith. In other words, Paul is saying that uh, this is a partnership in Jesus or one born in those who have faith in Jesus. It's a partnership based on the gospel. Meaning that to have fellowship with another person, especially in a Christian context, is to belong and to be identified with others who have faith in Jesus. And so this is why this partnership word is key. Fellowship for Paul was more than just spending time with somebody. Anybody can do that. Although it certainly is that, it means to fall under the same banner as somebody else, and that banner is Jesus. And so that's the first part of our answer today. What is Christian fellowship? It's partnership with others in Jesus. It's the first part. We have more to go, but that's the first part. But here's the thing. Partnership has implications, that word. The question now is, what are we partnered for? What's the purpose of our partnership? I mean, partners have a reason to be partners. Bonnie and Clyde, right? Um, they were partners in crime. They robbed, they steal, they got as much money in life as possible, and that was their goal. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, for those of you who might read it, um, what drew this eclectic group of hobbits, elves, dwarves, and humans together? It was a collective purpose. It was the purpose of, of fellowship, the fellowship of the ring. They were going to get the ring to Mordor. And so what is the purpose of fellowship in Jesus? What are we doing here? Well, we get our answer in the rest of verse 6, where Paul finishes verse 6 by saying this, that this partnership may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, this is where the awkward part of that sentence kind of gets into, because I'm like, ah, what do you do with this? It's kind of weird. Paul is praying 
for a deepening knowledge of the good things that people in the faith share. The good things in this case are actually, it's meant to be a vague sense. The good things are the things we share for the sake of, of Christ. This is general Christian practice. It's common knowledge that we hold. It's the gospel that we hold to. It's the love that we share. It's the mission that we have. Paul is praying that their partnership in the faith that they have would lead Philemon into a deeper knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus and all that it entails. Again, it's vague, but Paul is saying, would our fellowship lead you deeper into the goodness of following Jesus? Part of what qualifies me to work and teach in the CMA is that I finished my undergrad at Tyndale, right? So I had four years of theological education that shaped me and molded me in my walk with Jesus. But do you know what molded me and shaped me even more or, or as much at the very least during this time? It was the deep friendship and fellowship I experienced with the other followers of Jesus I lived with at that school. There was nothing like it for me. What shaped my faith the most in that time and still to this day is the long going and consistent fellowship with these people. It was eating with them. It was laughing with them and mourning with them. It was being encouraged by them and rebuked by them. It's all these facets of life. It's the wonderful Christian phrase I started with. It's doing life with them. As I saw Jesus in them, as I learned from them, with them in their walk, these things showed me daily more and more what it meant to follow Jesus and the goodness of it as much or more than maybe sometimes my theological education. And this is what Paul is talking about. And his heart longs for Philemon to understand more deeply the goodness of following Jesus and all that comes with it through the fellowship that he has with others in the faith. And this is why in verse 7 you see Paul saying this, and your love, it's, it's given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul is saying, look, he's overjoyed now in seeing Philemon's faith and practice through the love that he shows because it's an evidence of the effect that the fellowship is having on his life. He's saying, man, you get it. You get what I'm getting at here. And so this adds a new answer to our question today. What is Christian fellowship? It's a partnership with others uh, in Jesus to bring others closer to Jesus. There's purpose to it. This partnership means uh, we're connected to these other followers of Jesus. It mean, and it means that our stereotypical kind of vague definition of fellowship um, is actually not that far off the mark because fellowship in this case can be done in a variety of ways. It's 100% about eating with people. It's about spending time with people. Uh, it's about being around them in a host of different ways, but it all culminates in our knowing more of and becoming more like Jesus through our example and our encouragement to one another. Now, this is the first part of the answer, okay? So kind of have two parts, but you'll notice I kind of left the third slot there. There's one more part that I've left out, one more part to go, and that's because our definition is a little more, and Paul definitely has a lot more to say in this letter. You see, after defining what fellowship is and what it's for, he's going to apply that fellowship, again, okay? So again, that, that kind of prayer that he gives for Philemon, he's going to apply it now in the letter. He's explained the concept, but we need to see it in action. And then in verse 10, we get this. Paul reveals why he's written the letter. He says this, I, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. This is spicy. Now, he, uh, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, it's key to note that Paul doesn't take any time in introducing this person named Onesimus. He just jumps right in, and that's because um, He's Philemon's runaway slave. Philemon definitely knew what was going on, and trust me, everybody in his community would have had an idea. 
Um, and this is, I think, a very good time for me to briefly talk to you about slavery in this context, because this is usually when you're reading this book when people get really uncomfortable because it's Paul and slavery and Christians and slavery. What do we do with this? What's happening? Um, you need to know the context here. Um, and I want to say this. You see, many people are going to tell you that slavery in this time was indentured servitude, um, meaning that somebody would willingly go into slavery for the purpose of um, reducing, like, their debts. So let's say they owed a huge debt, or maybe they were unbelievably poor. People would actually show up to these rich people's houses and say, hey, look, I'll sign my life away for 10 years. If you just give me food, house, place to stay, I will be your slave, I will be your servant for as long as you need. Um, but I want to make it um, very, very clear that that was true. That actually did happen. Um, but slaves also were a thing in this time, too. Um, a lot of people will say, this is indentured servitude. Don't worry. No, but trust me, forced slaves were a thing in this time. Um, and let's be clear, though. Anybody who was an indentured servant, um, it really wasn't because they were wanting to do that. It wasn't a good thing. Um, it was a nice title, but it was still slavery, right? It's like putting a bow on garbage, like Congrats, but it's still garbage. And so in this time, I, I, I want to kind of illustrate why this, this matters. There were laws about slaves. It was not a good thing to be a slave because you had minimal human rights. You didn't really have human rights. You were property, more or less, um, even these indentured slaves. And there were laws about slaves who abandoned their contracts. Here's where it ties in today. It was a big deal if you ran away, a massive deal. Um, in the Roman world, there was actually a job called slave hunter. People would sign up. They were bounty hunters, but more like slave hunters. And here's the thing. Here's what they would do. They would track down these runaway slaves, and it was such a big deal that they would take a hot iron, and they would brand them on their foreheads with the letter F for the Latin word fugitivus, meaning fugitive. That's where we get our English word. It was so everybody would know that you were a fugitive, you were a runaway slave, you were worthless, you were treated like property, um, and you were not even uh, good or valuable property. You were worthless property. Um, it was serious to do this. It was a big deal in terms of the law. Now, you might be sitting here saying, wow, that is horrific. How could Philemon, a Christian though, have a slave? Like, let's, before we even like go like, oh my gosh, Anisimus, he's in trouble. But, Let's pull it back, Wes. How does Philemon have a slave? Is Paul okay with this? Well, no. I want to be very clear about this. And this is why he's looking to deal with it in the letter. You see, throughout Paul's writings and in all his letters, you get this clear sense that Paul is about equality under Christ. That is to say, uh, all are equal under Christ, male and female, slave and those who are free. And we've got to see that today, and that's important. Um, but Paul and the early Christians, I want to make this clear, were in a very, very uphill battle when it came to slavery. They were in a culture where slavery was in the law. It was, it was fine. Nobody was against it. In fact, it was popular. And so here's the thing. There was no quick fix for this issue. But Paul was and is, as we see today in this letter, working within his circles to change what he could. Okay, so that's very important to hold on to. Paul did not agree with slavery. He wanted slaves to be free. It's clear to see here, but he was facing an uphill battle, so he was doing what he could. And if you're still concerned about slavery in the Bible, I actually want to refer to you um, to one of Steve Kerr's messages. Um, he's the lead pastor at Gateway. Um, you go on their YouTube channel, Gateway Caledonia. He has this message called, Is God Pro-Slavery and Anti-Women? Excellent message. I know it's uh, helped Beth a ton with some of the concepts within it. It's helped me a ton as well. Um, it's been super, super helpful. So if you're kind of like wrestling with this, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this topic. I, I don't have time to jump into it as uh, in-depth as we like, but Steve does a great job there. In the meantime, what I'm trying to get across is this was a big deal, what was going on with Onesimus and Philemon. This is a big deal in terms of the law and in terms of the culture. Onesimus was in trouble and Philemon was 
ticked. And Paul knows how big of a deal and how tense the situation is. But see, the reason why Paul is making this case is an even bigger deal. He says this, that Onesimus had become Paul's son while in the chains. This is why Paul's really writing this. And this doesn't mean an adoption or any kind. He's become a follower of Jesus through Paul. That's what's happened. And so now we're getting hints as to what's going on here. Remember, fellowship in Christian circles is partnership. And so there's this kind of connection that's happened now between Paul and Onesimus. Paul's shared the gospel. Onesimus has responded to it. And so now Onesimus is a partner. And so as a partner, in a sense, Onesimus' problems become Paul's problems. And to show this, in the next two verses, he makes note that Onesimus is, is his very heart, he says. He loves him dearly. He wishes he, that actually Onesimus could stay and help Paul in place of Philemon. And then Paul in verses 14, 15, and 16 makes this ask, and I won't read all of it, but the gist of it is this, is that Paul wants Philemon to receive Onesimus back which like we said in and of itself would have been a huge deal because he's a runaway slave. Legally at this point, Anisim, uh, sorry, Philemon could have had Anisimus killed. But more than that, Paul wants him to not just have him, you know, stay alive. Paul wants Philemon to receive him back as a brother in Christ, as an equal, no longer as a slave. Again, it's this partnership thing that's popping up. Anisimus is in Christ like you are, Philemon, and he should be treated just like you are. It's a key point, and we're going to explore it and go into detail, but as we come into the end of the message here, um, check out how Paul finishes this, because he's not done asking. He does it really, really well, um, and it's important, and it kind of hits the height of what he's saying. He says this in verse 17. He's, so he's made his asks now, and he says this. He goes, so if you consider me a partner, this is Paul speaking to Philemon, welcome him as you'd welcome me. See, the word partner is there again. That's koinonos. It's an offshoot of koinonia. And see, Philemon reading this immediately would have known what was going on. He would have picked up that the verse 6 part with the prayer, that passive-aggressive kind of prayer. It's obviously connected to koinonia. He knows what Paul is doing. And so does Paul. And that's why Paul says, welcome Onesimus as if you were welcoming me. In other words, Paul knows that Philemon would never reject Paul because of their fellowship. But now because of that same fellowship or partnership, Onesimus has to be welcomed too. In fact, Paul goes one step further. In verse 18, he says this, look, if he's done anything wrong to you, if he owes anything to you, just charge it to me. Paul says, welcome Onesimus as if you're welcoming me. And more than that, if he's wronged you in any way, I'll take the tab. I take the debt. If he's stolen from you, if he's taken from you, I owe you. It's this brilliant rhetoric that he uses because he, he turns around now in verse 19 right afterwards and he says this, look, I, Paul, I'm writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back. It's true. You can believe me. He repeats it, but then he adds this quick and off-the-cuff note. He says this, not to mention that you owe me your very self. You owe me your very self. Paul here is talking about Philemon's salvation. Paul was the one who shared the gospel with Philemon. And so he's saying, look, I'll take the death that Onesimus owes you, but don't forget, you owe me your whole life. Your salvation is because of my preaching. Now, you might be sitting here, though, and going, okay, that seems pretty backhanded. Right? Imagine if Kevin was like, hey, man, you want to give me some dinner? Don't, remember, don't you remember? Like, I preached to you last week. Like, remember that time you said that gospel, right? Like, you'd be like, okay, well, Kevin, like, Malpractice, spiritual abuse, manipulation. Kevin would be in trouble. Kevin would be in trouble. But what Paul's doing here is more than just manipulation. It's, it's not even manipulation of any kind. Paul is making a point. If you haven't caught on yet, Paul hasn't mentioned the gospel once. 
He hasn't mentioned it once. He hasn't told Philemon what it is. He assumes he knows, and so he doesn't say it explicitly, but he's reminding Philemon through his actions what the gospel is. Again, Paul is saying to Philemon, treat Onesimus like you would treat me, and I'll take on Onesimus' debt so you two can have right relationship. You catch that? Paul is embodying the role of Jesus in this moment. This is what Jesus has done for all of us. Martin Luther points out the fact that we're actually all like Onesimus. We're separated and on the run from God in some way and only brought back into right relationship through Christ taking on our debts and we taking his grace. And here's the thing. Paul is reminding Philemon about, his owing, about him owing his salvation to Paul. Is, that's Paul's way of reminding him, reminding Philemon that he too is, is just like Onesimus. He's saying to Philemon, you're no different. You're just like him. So accept him as a partner. Welcome him as a brother in Christ. Welcome him into fellowship. And, and why? Because of what Jesus has done for, for him. Just like you, Philemon, are a partner in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. N.T. Wright has this great quote where he says this. He says, look, justification by faith. That's, that's the gospel. That's how we're saved. It, it has to result in fellowship by faith. They're, they're connected. If you've been saved by faith, it's supposed to show itself in the fellowship you show the other believers in Christ. It's supposed to show itself in the ways that you look to unconditionally incorporate your brothers and sisters in Christ into your life. See, equality for all in Christ is, is born out of the work that Jesus has done. Fellowship or partnership in Jesus is born out of the work that he's done. So to add on to our answer today, what is Christian fellowship? Well, it's, it's partnership with others in Jesus to make us like Jesus through the work of Jesus. Now, you might think that sentence is repetitive, but... It's intentional, and I had to add that at the end. The, the partnership that we all experience with each other in the church, the camaraderie, the love for one another we experience, the bearing of burdens with each other, the joys of worshiping and singing together like we're able to do today, uh, what qualifies you for all of that in the church is not anything you do, but what Jesus has already done for you. What qualifies a slave to become a brother is Jesus. And so fellowship, though we often use it as a buzzword in the church, is so much more than we all define it as. It's this powerful thing. It's an outworking of our faith in Jesus that shapes us into better followers of Jesus. And so we as followers of Jesus, we should look to participate and support each other in our lives out of this fellowship born in the work of Jesus on the cross. It's an important topic. We talk about it a lot, but it's important to dig in. That's what we did today. And to be honest, Bimberg, you guys have a particular kind of way that you get to express that. You're a church plant. You're a small, intimate community, and you're growing, and that's awesome. But I just want to say, like, man, you guys more than anybody have that chance, right, to express that fellowship with one another. I think that's amazing. Look, we, I love Gateway. It's amazing. But it's a big church, and it you feels that way sometimes. You guys have probably shown up maybe once or twice. Sometimes you get the funny statement where somebody says, oh, well, like, I've never met you in my life. Or you meet somebody at Gateway. Yeah, I go to Gateway. Oh, I go to third service. Oh, I go to first service. We never see them, right? Big church, I'm not saying there's any issues with big churches, but I am saying, look, there are particular strengths to being a church that's growing like you guys. There's an intimacy that you guys have, a chance that you have to show fellowship with one another that other contexts don't have. 
So please take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. You have a chance to show fellowship in a way that many places don't. Step into that partnership with each other. Uh, step in with it uh, knowing that the only reason you are welcome uh, to do so is not because of anything you've done, because of what Jesus has done. Um, now, I, I want to finish today, though, by, by finishing and addressing anybody um, here who, who, who maybe feels a little like Anisimus. And let me explain what I mean. Maybe you feel right now like you're on the run, on the run from God. And I want to make clear in this analogy and in Paul's analogy, God is not some slave master. He's actually the one who gives us freedom. That's the ironic part. <laughs> maybe some of you are running from the one who can give you freedom right now. Maybe today you're, you're feeling like a little bit of a slave yourself, a slave to the sin in your life. Maybe you're stuck in sin and you're unable to break from it. And I won't give you a list of sins today. I don't need to do that. Whatever just came to your mind when I said that, that, that sin, whatever it was, that thing uh, you um, won't bring to the Lord, that thing you've been embarrassed about, maybe that sin that you've been stuck in. I don't know what it is. Like you, that's between you and Jesus. I, I want you to know at the end of our message today that the same is true for you as well. You are welcomed into the body as a partner. You're welcomed into fellowship with Jesus today, not because of, again, anything you can do or have done, but because of what Jesus has done. So I want to say it's super clear as we end off today. Whatever sin or situation is in your life today, you can bring it to Jesus and know that there is grace and forgiveness to be found. Whatever it is. In the same way that Paul gave Onesimus his freedom and Paul took on Onesimus' debt, so, Paul, or so Christ has taken on your sins and your trespasses. And if you bring them to him, if you repent of those sins in your life, you can know that Jesus will exchange them for his life and his freedom. For your sin, Christ gives you his grace. This is amazing and wondrous exchange. Yeah, and if you're a follower of Jesus um, and have been for a while, when the band comes up, I want to invite you to maybe do that. Take that moment with Jesus. Confess to him. Um, but I do want to take a moment. Um, yeah, and I want to I offer a chance to pray as well. If you've never, though, maybe for the first time received Jesus' grace and forgiveness, I think it's, I think it's right we talk about this. I want to take a moment and lead you today um, to do that if you'd like. The Bible says that we all, uh, we have to do to receive the grace is to confess that Jesus is Lord. And all that means is that you've rejected the old ways of life that you lived and you reject the sins in your life and you commit yourself to following Jesus. And the Bible says if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then the work that Jesus did is true. The Bible says that if you do that, you'll be saved. You'll have freedom from the chains of sin in your life. No longer will sin in your life have power over you because Jesus has taken that power away. And most of all, you'll have that eternal life with Jesus. Even death has lost its power. And so if you want to do that, if you want to accept this grace, I'm just going to invite the band up because we're about to sing. So, oh, no, we're going to do communion, right? So I've, I've screwed this up already. I'm going to pray the prayer. We can pray. And then the band's going to come up in communion and all that fun stuff. So, so we'll do that. But again, if you want to pray that prayer with me, if you want to accept Jesus' grace for the first time in your life, maybe somebody online right now is going to be hearing this in maybe an hour or so. Um, you can still pray, and I invite you to. Let's do that now. Uh, repeat after me if, if you'd like to pray this. Uh, dear God, Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again. I want to confess these things to you. And in your heart, go ahead and just confess the sins to Jesus that, that maybe are in your life right now. And I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. I accept your grace, Jesus. And I commit myself to following you. Amen.